Assalamu alaikum. You are listening to Mommy Well Muslim, a podcast designed with the Muslim American parent in mind, addressing how to raise Muslim American kids born into a post 9 11 world. We will cover topics ranging from potty training to politics, and no topic is off limits. Along with our expert guests, we'll discuss what's new in the Muslim American diaspora or just what's new at our own kitchen tables. Join us, Zeba Hassan and Uzma Jaffrey, who have a combined eight kids and 25 years of parenting experience, as well as just enough crazy between them while they pioneer this journey we call Mommy, Mommy Wall Muslim. Muslim. Assalamualaikum, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Mommy Mom Muslim with your co-host, Zeba Hassan and Osma Jaffrey. Zeba, say hello. Hello. Assalamualaikum, everybody. We are joined today by an amazing duo uh, that has started the Sisterhood of Salam Shalom. We have with us Cheryl Olitsky, the executive director and co-founder of the organization, and her co-founder and current chair of the Sisterhood of Salam Shalom is Abia Abdab. So a little bit about both of them. Cheryl uh, has extensive training and vast experiences in unmet needs in the marketplace, moderating uh, group discussions. She is a presenter in high schools and universities through the Sisterhood. She also contributes to Huffington Post, The Interfaith Observer, and several other religious um, publications. She is a board member of the Muslim Jewish Advisory Council. Atia is um, a lawyer and uh, practices in the nonprofit sphere. She's also an adjunct professor at Rutgers University. So I'm super excited to hear about the sisterhood, which is one of our major themes here on Bobbing Wall Muslim. So welcome, Cheryl and Atia, this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much. So Cheryl, why don't you start by telling us um, how uh, the sisterhood of Salab Shalom was born? There were several aha moments along my journey getting me to the final thing that really um, triggered starting the sisterhood but that final moment was as I was on a bus entering Auschwitz I was leading a group of 38 travelers to Poland and I was emotionally impacted by what I had experienced but also I was very puzzled visually I did not see anyone around me who looked different and I asked our Polish guide why I didn't see anyone who looked like a whole list of things and I ended it by saying and I have seen no one of color no one who I could visually identify as being Jewish or Muslim could you explain And he turned to me with the microphone and said, yes, my dear, Poland is for the Poles. And by the way, you asked about Muslims. We do not have a Muslim problem here because Muslims are not welcome. And I'm sorry. He said Muslims are not welcome. Yes. In Poland. Yeah. Oh, Oh, okay. That's why we don't have a Muslim problem. Quote, unquote. Um, And it was at that point that I knew I could not change the past, but I could rewrite it by changing the future and impacting on hate. I had grown up with a, um, with, I had grown up based on following the principles of Rabbi Hillel, who says, if I am for myself, who will be for me? 
if I am just for me, what then? And if not now, when? I'm sorry, the the middle one is if I am for me, um, what of others? And if not now, when? And at that point, it kicked in and I said, I have to make a change. So I came back to the United States and spent several months knowing I had to make a change, but not really knowing what that change would be and talking to so many people. And at one point I said, you know what? There is hate toward Muslims. There's hate to Jews. There's no overt hate that I'm aware of in my little community between both groups. But could you imagine if we came together what we could do to change hate? At that point, Athea, what was it? In about 2009, 2010, I guess? At that point, I was shocked as I was thinking about what to do that I realized I don't have any close relationships with any Muslims in the community. I knew the local imam. The short story is I called him up, told him that I wanted to change relationships between Muslim and Jewish women so that we could get to know each other, we could negative stereotypes that might exist between each other, and we could work on impacting on any hate toward each other's faith communities that's in our own community. He gave me Athea's phone number, um, and I will let Athea take it from there. This call, Athea, and then how how did you respond? You you hear from this Jewish lady saying, we're going to bridge the gap between our two communities. How did you handle that phone call? I love telling this part of the story because Cheryl called and left a message on my home, uh, at my home number, and, you know, it was an excited it was an excited message saying, I'm a, I'm a Jewish woman. I want to meet a Muslim woman. I got your name from. Oh, that's so funny. And I, and I was just like, who is this woman? Like, what? <laughs> why is she calling and, me? <laughs> why is she calling me? And it was so funny. And I was like, okay, I, this was, it was the summer. And I'm like, I, I don't have time for this right now. Uh, you know, working, you know, having kids, the whole thing. We're all in the same boat. And then she called, I think, three times, at least on the home phone number. And somehow she got my cell phone number. And then I realized, okay, this woman is serious. And she's not, you know, she's not going to. She's, she's not, not gonna, going away anytime yeah. soon. No, she's not going away. And then, you know, I'm like, okay, let me let me call her back. And, and it, you know, it wasn't over a long period of time. Cheryl is very persistent. And I say this all the time. I'm type A. Cheryl is, is double A. So, she, you know, so I called her back and I, I feel you know, like, like that's okay, Osman I, myself too, by the way. <laughs> and then no, I'm going to play all and be minus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, I think, I think that's a good team, isn't it? And A and the double yes. Yeah, it works. <laughs> it works. It works very well. So I called her back and, um, you know, again, she told me the story and I, and I thought to myself, Wow, and at that point, I mean, again, working on several volunteer organizations on the board of the Masjid, I thought, I really don't want to take, not that I don't want to, I, I just simply cannot take another thing on. But I did agree to meet with her, and we, we sat down at the local Starbucks, um, and it turns out that Cheryl and I live pretty close to each other, and we just immediately hit it off. We hit it off, we just couldn't stop talking. It seemed like we knew each other for a long time. It was one of those kind of connections that, you know, we don't have too many of those in our lives, I don't think. And we just hit it off, and we had a lot of 
Our, our thinking was similar. Our goals were similar, um, you know, and her excitement was clearly infectious. And I walked away from there with the, you know, with the feeling that I can't say no. If Cheryl is extending her hand to me saying, let's do this together, I can't say no. Like, it just wasn't an option. And I, you know, from, I guess, a scriptural or religious point of view, I also felt that that was my responsibility. Um, and that was, to me, the prophetic example. If, if someone's extending their hand to, to say, hey, I'm here to stand for you, you stand for me, and we're going to stand together. And what else is more powerful than that? Um, then I did not have a choice in, 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 in rejecting that or not going along that journey with Cheryl. And that's that's really how it started. That's amazing. That's what I'm I'm choked up. up. (laughs) That's beautiful how, you know, it's like Cheryl has this divine inspiration. I mean, that's that. Is that a really is that a reach, Cheryl? Because I feel like I mean, you're at Auschwitz. How do you not get I mean, the idea to turn around and look for diversity and look for inclusion? That wasn't you, was it? It it was truly a divine inspiration. I that. You know, I'm, I was struggling to deal with emotionally what I was experiencing. Not coincidental that my first grandchildren, twins, were being born right at that time. Oh, that's not amazing. A, not a coincidence at all. Um, I believe in my anxiety about the world I was a part of bringing new children into. Um, and I really think that God gave me the strength um, to say, go out there. You've got a responsibility to change the world. Stop sitting and complaining and waiting for others to do it. Go be the change maker and do it. Um, and what, as I look back, and we'll talk about this in a minute, as to where we are today, as I was sitting there with the theater, it was electric. There was electric, There were sparks flying between the two of us. It was amazing. Oh, that's but amazing. What is mind-boggling to me is at that point, we, the two of us knew we were going to do this. We didn't know it would be the movement it is today. But the two of us knew we were making dramatic change. Neither of us were able to see the extent of what Muslims and Jews in the United States, in North America, in Europe, are dealing with today. There was just no way to foresee it. So in in one, not only is it incredible what's happened, but it's also incredible that we started it at a time when we felt we needed to make the change without all of this hate breathing down our neck. And, you know, you were going on the path that God laid for you, and it just happened to be very well-timed. Yes. We thought we had seen the worst of the worst. Little did we know we had not seen anything yet. So how did you guys then take those seeds, right? And it seems like it was sparks between you guys, and make it into this huge organization. Because it really is spreading like wildfire right now. And I get texts and emails all the time when somebody finds out that I'm a part of this group and wanting to join because I do feel that we have more similarities than we do have differences and if we focus on that as mothers as sisters within our own homes 
that's when the, the change can happen. It can start small and grow big. So how, how are you enjoying the spread of uh, Sisterhood of Salam Shalom? Because it's, it's, I feel like it's catching like wildfire. One of the things that's important to know, when we when we first met um, that day in that Starbucks, Cheryl and I, we, we, we had some immediate um, ideas about how to shape this. And some, and, and number one, we understood that even though interfaith has, quote-unquote, interfaith, it yes. goes on, we understood that it, this really needed to be a women's movement. Yes. Um, number one, it needed to be... Um, developed in a space outside of our religious institution. Yes. And that's something, I mean, I, I, I'm on the board at my mosque. I'm very active. Cheryl is active in her mosque. Her husband's a rabbi. Her son's a rabbi. So we said to ourselves, you know what? We have to, you know, we have to do this outside of our religious institutions for a variety of reasons. Um, we also understood that, um, you know, this has to be also an initiative that is religiously based in the sense faith-based because we have, you know, this is, we, we just kind of knew that from the beginning, but we did later research to see where organizations similar to ours in the sense of uh, Muslim and Jewish participants that started as, uh, you know, talking about political issues like Israel-Palestine, for example, all of those organizations ended up collapsing because it was, it was laid on a foundation of conflict. And, you know, we said from the beginning, this is uh, celebrating, really, celebrating and acknowledging that Muslims and Jews have had a relationship for over 1,400 years, and we have to look at that in that sort of a lens. And we also understood that there was just an understanding that, which I think I realized later, probably Cheryl realized later, in some ways, what we were doing, well, we were taking risks with our own communities. Um, and we were both willing to do that. And, it, and that's something that, you know, I think is just important to, to note. And, and, and just to, to know, I don't know if this is part of the actual rules of the overall organization, but I know within our local chapter, we essentially agree to not talk about, um, obviously, the elephant in the room being the Palestinian-Israeli um, conflict, right? So we agree to not talk about anything about that, and instead we focus on educating our our, our sisters on our our own customs um, and focusing on what are what's more similar than what's different. Um, but it was part of at least for ours when we when we formed, like we're not talking about this for a while. Now, is that part of the overall? Yeah, um, charter. rule of the charter for, for the organization? It, it is. Um, we ask chapters when they start, everyone agree that until the members, first of all, are all in agreement that they're ready to go there, yes. and until they're ready to listen with their hearts, not their ears, to focus on their own narrative. And, and just as an aside, when um, we work with co-leaders to really um, educate that the basis of dialogue is storytelling. When you tell your story, there is no better way to get empathy and to understand each other. And no one can say it's not true. It's your story. When chapters are ready 
to enter into challenging conversations, such as Israel and Palestine, but it could also be about abortion. It could also be about alcohol and drug use. There's a whole list of things that are challenging. When they're ready, they do such by focusing on sharing their own narrative. So in the case of Israel and Palestine, what does it mean to you personally? What's your story surrounding that? You might not be from Israel. You not may not be from Palestine, but it impacted your life somehow. Either how you grew up, what you were taught, what you see happening today, a cousin, a friend, etc. Um, and likewise, we also have a policy on social media that we are not posting anything about Israel Palestine. We are not entering into comments about it, and there's a team of um, women moderators, probably right. Moderators, exactly that monitor that. I myself have found um, a new appreciation for meeting different types of Muslims, even within my own community. Because I, I do feel that at least for our particular chapter, they try to bring different um, types of identifying Muslim. And even for me, that I can even err on the side of being judgmental. I'm going to be honest about that. Being able to meet somebody different than how I necessarily practice Islam has been also an eye-opening, like something I wasn't expecting in being part of this group. Again, and this, this came up in our first meeting back at Starbucks when we said, okay, well, how are we going to start this? And I don't know how we came up with the number six, Cheryl, but we said, let's have six Muslim women, six Jewish women. And, you know, I tried to, as best as possible, pick five other women who represented diversity, um, ethnic, ethnic diversity, practice diversity. I mean, as much as possible, obviously, you know, you know it's hard to, hard to, to do that. But, um, one of the things that we found, you know, and, and then again, not, not necessarily, and being, exposing ourselves to different ways that our own religion is practiced. And one of the things that I think would hit me the most is when we have a building bridges trip every year. So we have our fourth annual trip coming up. Uh, this summer, and the first one we took a trip to Albania and Bosnia, and what was interesting to me on on our on the bus, you know, going in between all of, of the places that we were visiting, is that not only were there interfaith type discussions going on, there was so many interfaith discussions going exactly. on of women who like you know wanted to bring up topics again, whether it's about religious practices or whatever it was. And um, this was also mirrored within the Jewish sisters that were with us, um, the diversity of practice amongst the Jewish women. And it was great. It it was really important to have those conversations for, I think, all of us to really understand nuance and the fact that we are all not monolithic. All Muslims aren't the same. All Jews are not the same. Um, And it's important this emphasizes that. What do you kind of do in terms of events and how do you build the sisterhood? Several things. One, we've got a curriculum to help guide the new chapters, and they get lots of training. But the sisterhood chapters focus on three things, and co-leaders agree that within their chapter um, throughout the year, they will focus on three things. The first is dialogue, important differentiator from discussion. It's di- this just emphasizes that. How do you build the sisterhood? What would the women look forward to? What would they be doing?
I believe that you guys are starting a teen t chapter. Is that the, our last meeting? We heard that you guys are starting a, a, teen, a teen chapter, and how is that going to be different than um, the the older for our older sisters or our more mature sisters? How is that going to be differently structured? The teen chapters do differ from the adult adult chapters, and that they are very focused on two things. One, almost everything they do is focused on community building, social justice, and social action. That's front and center for all teens in the United States and Canada today. I, we learned so much after Parkland, what the teens have the ability to do. These teens in the Sisterhood of Salam Shalom are saying no to hate. They are raising their voices and they are praying with their feet. Now, I think I know the answer to this, ladies, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why, when you founded um, the Sisterhood, was the focus on women? How are we going to be most successful in a timely manner? Focusing on the people that care most about relationships and the establishment of relationships, and that's women. Not to say that men don't care about relationships. Our brains are wired differently. Neuroscience has proven that. Um, and we navigate the world differently. So women are going to do it. I quote my husband, Rabbi Olitsky, all the time when he says that women are from Genesis, men are from Leviticus. I don't know what Leviticus is. Can you, can you explain that for the yeah. people that don't understand that? The, the Genesis, book, I know. The book of Genesis um, in the Old Testament is all about relationships. The entire book is, is about relationships, whereas the book of Leviticus is about laws and rules. Men, okay. men, when they are in a situation, it's all about what's the rule, what's the law, who's right, who's wrong first. Then they'll get into the relationship. Women, when they are about to enter a relationship, it's all about, let me get to know you first. Tell me about you. Tell me about your family. Let's build this relationship. And then we could focus on any issues we have to focus on. Um, love that, you know, the Leviticus uh, analogy. That's basically how Muslim male scholars work, too, or Muslim men work, too. But let's go back to the law and, like, the real dry black and white stuff. And it's like, you know what? A lot of times, life is great. 99% of the time, that's what it is. So I, I really like that. Yeah, and, it, that works. And, 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 and again, this is one of the things that when we were, you know, first thinking about this, how to shape this, um, my experience, you know, and when Cheryl said, I want to do something interfaith, and quite frankly... Um, being part of, active part of the member of my Muslim community and being active in the masjid, I, I, I never had a really super positive experience in any interfaith event. In other words, um, I think they have some benefits, but it seemed very surface. So the, 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 and I'm, I'm actually, you know, I grew up with, my mother converted to Islam from Catholicism. I'm very, in a lot of in my family, interfaith marriages and converts mm -hmm. and non-converts. So it, personally, I'm comfortable in, in those environments. I'm talking about how it's it handled in an, in an institutional level. And you would have, you're in a space, you'd have almost always three men get up, at the stage or at the podium, one, you know, like the joke, the rabbi, the, Jew, the rabbi, Jewish rabbi, yeah, obviously the, the rabbi, the imam, and the priest get up there and they're 99% men. They get up there and they do kind of a religion 101 
And uh, then sometimes there's a there's a request to have discussion at the table or the couple of people around you, and then you walk away. And I find it okay. Maybe there's some benefit to this, but I I, there, I, I think not effective. Um, and actually, sometimes I think even negative. So you know, when Cheryl and I were talking, like you know, that was one of the reasons we don't want didn't want this connected to an institution. Um, and and it absolutely true that the challenges of that women face muslim women face in the mosque jewish women face in the synagogue we can learn so much as muslim women for what jewish women have dealt with over the last you know decades um and a lot of the challenges are so similar we're done with the history we're we're ready for the herstory that's what i keep reading oh, God, reading and God, i'm like let's do it let's <laughs> let's make this happen yeah I, I agree with yep. you. I, I agree that through relationships, like I, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but a lot of what I've been reading is like, if you meet one person outside of what your comfort zone is, right? Like it might not be enough to change and alter your entire philosophy, but it will give you pause. It'll allow you the opportunity for connection because again, what are, where are we similar? We are all moms and in our chapter, we are, we're all wives and sisters and we have a lot more commonalities than we have differences and i feel like through that quest for connection a lot of these other things i mean they're still there right like we can't pretend like they're not but you're more able to listen to somebody else's pers- a point of view i have to admit like growing up i didn't really have that many jewish friends i'm gonna f- fully own that right now and and it was as an adult that i started um, developing some more of those friendships, right? And and I didn't realize how many things we had in common. I didn't realize that some of our, like even Salam Shalom, just by the, the title, right? They, they're both greetings of peace that we Semitic offer our, exactly, that we offer each other. Just even that, a simple Salam when you're greeting somebody or Shalom when you're greeting somebody is enough to connect you, you know? And so I do feel that even from my own personal perspective, just meeting different people and even within our own group, we have different practicing, like different synagogues that people belong to and they themselves approach Judaism differently. So that's also been really eye-opening for me because I did not know that there were so many um, different ways to practice Judaism, you know? I love that um, there's so much overwhelming positivity that's coming from um, the sisterhood. But as members that are active in your own houses of worship, Cheryl, you being married to a rabbi, Atia, you being on the board of a masjid, have you had your own community members? You know, and I know that these are probably in like the single digits, the percentages of people coming up to you and being critical of the work yes. that you're doing. Okay, so tell me about that. I have lost several friends because of what I do. I have had. Many people critical of what I do. Um, I walk into a room and people start giving each other looks and rolling their eyes as soon as I start talking because the first thing I'm going to talk about and almost the only thing I'm going to talk about is the sisterhood of Salamis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, oh my God, here she goes again. Um, I have received death threats. Um, Hate mail. And obviously, I'm careful. Um, others in the sisterhood or affiliated with the sisterhood that have received the same are very careful. But 
for any negatives, whether it's personal relationships, professional relationships that no longer exist, haters out there, there are so many, so many, so many more people who are supportive. And that's what I encourage our members to never lose sight of. Turning our heels on this. I mean, we are committed because definitely the outpouring of love and support is, you know, far overreaches any sort of negativity. And you know what? That's always part of the game. When you when you're out there and you take positions on things and you act just simply acting, you're going to have critics. But that cannot take away the mission um, that we're on. And certainly, I, I look when I hear criticism from people, and I'm actually, I'd rather hear it than people whispering behind my back. Right. I'd rather hear it. And I, I try to take those opportunities uh, to teach and to educate. Um, and, you know, I, I do try to turn it around. And, and if it doesn't turn around, you know what? Um, you know, I'm, I'm moving ahead. Yeah, because you've done your job. Plenty of people. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that we should at all be intimidated. Um, by by those people who are trying to detract. I feel like our own respective um, communities sometimes will accuse us of sleeping with the enemy when we're doing this work. And they'll have, you know, scriptural texts to support that at times. And it's like, how do you how do you face that? And I'm I'm not talking like you know, um, as Cheryl said, just to ignore the negatives and fortify yourself with the positivity. I'm saying, how do you academically and spiritually combat um, that that kind of opposition? Well, you asked about like scripturally, and I, I mean, you know, there's. It's interesting to talk about that because people can use scripture to justify uh, things on you know, perspectives that are exactly. very opposing. Um, what I have found, and I teach Islamic law and jurisprudence. This is what I've studied. I have never, in my authentic understanding of our tradition, the Muslim, the Islamic tradition, through any of my teachers, that there is anything problematic in, in what I'm doing at a faith level. In fact, this is what my faith drives me to do. So I'm very confident on that. And what, something that um, Cheryl and I have discussed this in the past, um, because I think she's heard criticism. She could correct me if I'm wrong. You know, are you trying to convert, like, Muslims to Jews or Jews to Muslims? And what we have found, and I'm speaking for Cheryl so she can correct me, is that I've heard from not just the Muslim women but the Jewish women that when they participate in a chapter or a trip or whatever, one of the things that we do or that come to the conference, it actually has made um, people, like, you know, I've heard from Muslims and Jews, it strengthens their own faith. That's because exactly right. sometimes they can't answer a question that someone, let's say they're Jewish and a Muslim woman asks a question and they're like, I need to do some research on this and vice versa. So I have actually had the experience that this strengthens one's own faith. And isn't, isn't that like a, a beautiful thing? And I just wanted to add something about what Athea said from a religious text or um learning point of view, the one commandment mentioned more than anything else in the Torah, which is the main holy scripture that Jews follow, is to protect the stranger. We were all strangers in Egypt. And when I say to people, what's the one commandment in the Torah mentioned more than anything else? 
you hear keep kosher, there is one God, honor your parents, etc., etc. No. The one commandment mentioned at least 36 times is to protect the stranger. And the way I translated that over 10 years ago was right now in America, the stranger was those members of the Muslim community. And as a practicing Jew, it was my personal responsibility to protect them. And I could tell you with 100% confidence that not only every Jewish woman and teenage girl in the sisterhood, but every Muslim um, woman and teenage girl in the sisterhood of Salam Shalom practices that. I did not know that. Like I learned so many new things today. <laughs> so if you don't okay. have a if you don't have a chapter that you can join, what are some things that somebody that is looking to build that bridge that does want to go across the aisle, that does want to have a conversation? What are some tips that you can give our listeners to be like, okay, you can, we don't have a chapter in your area yet. Where can you start by building those bridges? The first thing they could do is go to um, www.sosspeace, as in Sister Salam Shalom. S-O-S-S-P-E-A-C-E.org. Click on the contact button and register that you want to be a part of a chapter or that you want to be a part of our mailing list to receive our newsletters and information about local and and international programming. Um, And you will be contacted by our personnel who are in charge of chapter management. So that's the first thing. If you're not on the list, we don't know you're interested. Um, go to our website because we list different programs that are happening either regionally or um, within North America or within Canada and the United States. And that's open to anyone. For instance, our annual conference, it will be this year, November 3rd, in um, the suburbs of Philadelphia. We expect 700 Muslim and Jewish women and teenage girls to participate. Every year, at least 40% of the participants in that conference are not in a chapter. That's how you could learn from the movers and shakers in the Muslim-Jewish interfaith community and meet other women. Um, And then some general principles. One, reach out to people who are of a different faith group, a, a different ethnic background, a different um, socioeconomic background. Reach out to people that are different from you and get to know them. Number two, speak out against hate. In, in our case, specifically, hate towards Muslims and Jews. Reach out to someone who's just been attacked. Take care of um, erasing the signs of hate that might target a home or a religious institution. Reach out to your local government officials regarding how they're responding to hate or how they're not responding to hate, how they're responding to Islamophobia or how they're not, how they're responding to anti-Semitism or how they're not. Reach out to your governmental officials. The Muslim ban is still breathing down our neck. Yes. What are you doing to be the voice of protecting the stranger? 
What are you doing? And Athea talks about this all the time. It's in the Quran and it's in the one who saves a life as if one saves a world, one who destroys a life as if one destroys the whole world. What are you doing to save that life? Um, and we've got all kinds of resources, and anyone could reach out to us on the contact form, and we will help you to do that. In other words, it just takes one step. It takes one step, one person, um, to make all the difference. And it can seem overwhelming when you look at the world around us, internationally, nationally, um, but it, it really, the focus is just take one step and then you actually change your perception of, of how maybe things did not look so um, hopeful before. Well, I was easy as picking up the phone and calling a local house of worship and being the crazy lady saying, I need another one of your kids <laughs> to answer that. There you go. <laughs> or or I, I do have go. to say, I was really part of our community after um, the synagogue shooting in Philadelphia. Like we had, the, we went to our local synagogue to help to show support. The line was out the door to get in. And when you see it, it was truly, truly fantastic because and it was a whole bunch of different people. Like I couldn't get in, even though my girlfriend was like, I have a seat for you in the front. I'm like, I can't even make it through the door. So I loved that just even talking to the people while we were standing in line and, and really trying to be like, you know what, this could have just as easily been a mosque, right? It like that's absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and how can yeah. we, uh, the, I think the term that we're, we've been using as being an upstander, not necessarily a bystander, like, are you standing up for somebody else? Because quite frankly, we have to have each other's back in today's society. And it's a religious absolutely. injunction on us to um, uh, help the oppressed and any oppression mm -hmm regardless of who is on the receiving right. end. Right, because in Islam, all of these, just like Cheryl mentioned in, in, in Judaism, all of these um, responsibilities that Muslims have, they, there's no distinction that, oh, it's only for a Muslim, charity yes. only for a Muslim. You know? So we need to refocus that and, and, and prioritize that and understand that. One of the things that really has, um, I think, personally... You know, talking about things really on an organizational level, but on a personal level, when I've met my fellow Jewish sisters, one of the things that we really, that I find that connects us, and which is why we're a Jewish Muslim organization and we're not Abrahamic faith, is because we both are communities that are challenged with preserving a slightly different identity than the Christian majority country, you know, the Christian majority world that we're living in. And for me, it's been an education um, and an inspiration to see how my Jewish sisters are trying to raise their children in a way, celebrating holidays that not everybody's celebrating, um, you know, values that are a little bit different, whether it's modesty rules, food rules, um, like I said, holidays. You know, it's a struggle, and it's lovely to see how my Jewish sisters have navigated this longer um, at least institutionally longer than we have as Muslims. And I think that's something, like I think one of you just mentioned is, you know, your mom. And, you know, how do you make Ramadan special? How do you make Eid special when everyone else around, the majority of people around, are not celebrating or not commemorating these things? How do we explain, you know, in Cheryl's case, on Saturday Sabbath, so you don't, you know, you can't join the Little League team that has, you know, games on Saturday. Um, and same things for us, where our kids don't participate in everything um, that 
the, the majority of kids around them are. And so I think that is something that we can, as Muslims, learn from our Jewish sisters. And I think that's really beautiful. That's exactly right. Or at least build solidarity with, because it's like, oh, your girl can't do gymnastics? Mine either. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I totally see that. Um, I think with interface work, how I've seen my kids affected is, you know, when the Pittsburgh shooting happened, um, that night when uh, one of the largest temples in our town had um, uh, a prayer, and, you know, we were going to go have an interfaith vigil over there, my daughter had to go to Taekwondo. But she said, Mama, will you take these cards that I made for people and pass them out? And she did them in a hurry. She was like, I didn't have time to color them, but I just wanted to tell them I love them. And, mm-hmm. you know, she gave me six or seven, but there was like Zeba said, standing room only at the temple. You know, we were in the part of the building where the sound system didn't even go. Like, that's how far back we were. But as people were leaving the main prayer hall, um, I was I started passing out these cards and it was just I don't even know why. Like, we were just crying, you know, because it's literally like a six-year-old's drawing, a seven-year-old's drawings, um, stick figures that are just hugging each other. And it was just so moving to know that this work makes a difference at our kitchen table. And that, to me, mm-hmm. is so critical and so crucial. It's it's everything that I was born to do as a mom. I totally agree with that. And honestly, we're, they're the next generation, right? Like, so whatever foundation that we give them to combat these types of things from the ground up is only going to make the world a better place. And that's kind of our hopes here with Mommy Well Muslim is to provide people an, a space that where they can learn new things like this and, and be able to talk about issues that we, you know, we as American Muslims, um, in America right now, post 9-11 America, are facing and what we can do and what resources we have for our children. And like both of y'all said, your plates are full, your grandmothers and your mothers, and there's a lot, and you're a lawyer and sitting on a board, and you're the rabbi's wife with a thousand other responsibilities that that entails, and now, you know, you're growing this sisterhood. Like an organization. Do I have time for it? And the answer as a mom is always no. Of course you don't. But you have to make time for it, is what I want to offer to moms. It's not just about the drop-offs and the pickups and the lunches and the dinners. There is more that we are responsible to do. And Cheryl had mentioned Sadaka as the Jewish um, obligation of charity. That is exactly like Muslim. It is the, you know, translation of Sadaka, which is exactly. the charity that Muslims have to do. So, you know, those two things go hand in hand. And this Sadaka, Sadaka work is super important to building our Muslim identities and our place in society. Because if people don't give you a place at the table, y'all just got to sit down, you know, and, and make it. Again, we have we will have on our show notes the links to your website so that people can get more information. Because I imagine the trip information, presentation, and event information is all listed on there, as Cheryl said. Yep. So we'll um, yep. direct our audience there. And thank you so much for joining us today on Mom Me Well Muslim. Have a great day, everyone. Thank bye you, bye. Cheryl and Abya. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzman Momming while Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Thank you.